You're now listening to the Boys in the Booth podcast with your hosts, Harper Cody, Chad Melbourne, and Casey Abrams. New episodes every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Hello and welcome to episode 129 of the Boys in the Booth podcast. Uh, This time it's just myself, Chad Melbourne, no Casey or Harper joining us today, but we are joined by a very special guest. You probably saw it in the title, uh, Mr. Jonathan Kiriakou. And before you ask yourself, you know, who is this guy? First of all, that means you didn't listen to previous episodes where John joined and was fantastic. But uh, I'll just give you a little bit of a background on this guy because he's been a fantastic guest and he's a great buddy of mine. So... Uh, a few years ago, John was a uh, amateur scout for the Ottawa 67s in the OHL. After that, John went on and worked for the Toronto Maple Leafs um, for a summer. And then now he just recently got called to the bar and he's a practicing corporate lawyer in Toronto. And he's a great buddy of mine. We used to play hockey together uh, back in university. So there's a connection there. Lots of stuff going on. John is an expert at all this stuff. We're going to get into the Maple Leafs today. But before we do, uh, John, how you doing, man? I'm good. Good. Glad I could uh, kick the other two guys out of here and then take over for a little bit. So looking forward to talking some Leafs here. Yeah, I mean, that was the plan all along. I just had to sneak in an episode here to kind of to to make it uh, official. But but yeah, so that's what we're going to be doing today. We're just going to be talking about the Leafs. I've titled this episode uh, our ideal offseason for the Maple Leafs. Obviously, the two of us are big Maple Leafs fans as much as we, uh, you know, sometimes hate that title. Um, you worked for the team, you've had experience, you know, you've talked to guys like Kyle Dubas, Lou Lamorello when he is there, Brennan Shanahan, uh, and you know, the executive group. So you might have sort of an insight in, in, to what this uh, management group is thinking, maybe, or, or you might just have your own ideas. So we're going to get into all of that now. So um, I want to talk about a few burning questions. Uh, I want to talk about cap space and off-season decisions. I want to talk about who the Leafs maybe should sign this off-season to improve the team, what their biggest needs are, uh, maybe if there's any trades that you can come up with. I have a couple. Don't know if you're going to like them, but I'll propose them by the end of this episode. Uh, and then to close out, I just want to uh, give our ideal uh, lineup going into next year, uh, you know, whether there's a few holes or not, just to kind of see where we're at after the loss in the first round again and, and kind of see what direction we want the Leafs to go. So all of that considered, let's get into it. John, the first question I wanted to ask was, uh, and this is an easy one for you. This is, you know, kind of top line here. Do you think the Leafs should blow it up or run it back? Uh, yeah, this is this is a tough one, and it gets tougher every year. I mean, I, I think just with the group you have, you can't completely blow this up. You have, you know, even though it hasn't hasn't worked yet, you do have one of the better, uh, more talented cores in the league, in my opinion. Those aren't players that you're that come along all the time, or that you're going to easily replace with draft picks, um, you know, or even replace through trade. So I, I don't think you have a choice here. The contracts are what they are. You're going to have to work around them. But if you want to win, this is what you have. Um, and, and so I think they're going to have to make it work. So to me, it's more of a, a reset, a retool, as they've kind of done in the past and hope that the uh, the formula works. Um, you know, if this keeps happening 
over the next couple of years, I would say, as, as especially as some of these contracts wind down, um, you know, then maybe that's a question that eventually needs to be considered. But right now you've got them under term. They're here to stay. They're in their primes. Um, and, you know, when I'm saying they, it's obviously Marner, Matthews, Nylander, Tavares, Morgan Riley's on a, on a long-term deal now. Um, you know, so those are the guys that, that ultimately need to pull you through. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Morgan Riley there because I think he's really solidified himself as as a key piece to the core. And I remember when we were at a game, I think it was opening night this season, mm-hmm. and we were talking about it kind of like, uh, you know, that was before Morgan had signed his extension. And, you know, we were talking about the likelihood that he would. And I remember you turned and basically said to me, you know, who else is going to play 25 minutes a night for the Maple Leafs? Like, and that just made me think oh yeah Morgan is like extremely important maybe even more important than a couple of the forwards in the core four so that's uh I think it's really the core five so I'm glad you mentioned that um and that that was a lob ball because we know that that Kyle Dubas is is gonna run it back he's basically said that I think he's this is gonna be his hill to die on this this core group of players and so that was a bit of a lob ball there we know what they're (laughs) going to do so I wanted to start off easy starting off easy here yeah um okay so next i was just wondering what you think the biggest need for the maple leafs is this offseason if they're going to run it back with this with this group how do you fill out the peripheral uh of that group and and what is their biggest need uh well i'd say it's a two-part answer for me first off what is the biggest need And, and this is almost one i didn't necessarily project at the beginning of the season but it certainly is now and that's goaltending you've got jack campbell who's a ufa peter morazic who had what can only be described as a nightmare of a season this year between injuries and and performance and so right now going into next season the leafs goaltending tandem is is currently peter morazic and and eric schalker and that's simply just not good enough to win um i don't think that would be a surprise or a shocking statement to anybody so that's what needs to be addressed first um you know we'll we'll get into i'm sure more specifics as to you know free agents that you think may be or that we think may be a good option for this team but goaltending is something that needs to be solidified before you focus on anything else especially with the fact that you're looking for a number one and that's going to eat up a lot of your cap and then second, I would say, as you've just alluded to, it's going to be a lot around the periphery of this team. I thought at times, um, you know, ultimately, ultimately, when when it comes down to it, and you see it in the in the finals right now, it's the, it's the top players who are going to pull you over the the hump. You know, you see Kale McCarr putting up big numbers on Colorado. You see Nikita Kucherov, Andre Vasilevsky. Steven Stamkos, you go down the list of big name players who've had clutch performances for their team, and that will be the same for the Leafs if they want to get ahead. But you do need those periphery players, and, um, you know, case in point, Nick Paul, game seven against the Leafs, he's the one that comes up with the clutch performance, and, and you're going to need those over the course of the playoffs. The Leafs' fourth line, in my opinion, this year just didn't have that um, capability. I agree. And, and not to. Not to anybody's fault, in my opinion. Jason Spence is obviously retired and was at the end of his career. And, you know, I thought gave you some good spurts throughout the season. But, um, you know, with age comes decreased uh, productivity. And and that's what we saw out of him. Same with Wayne Simmons. I, I think, you know, he's one of the few players on this team who has some bite 
We'll go in the corners. We'll drop the gloves if need be. But Wayne Simmons right now is not, of course, the Wayne Simmons that we saw with the Philadelphia Flyers. He's probably not even the Wayne Simmons that we saw when he first arrived in Toronto before the, the uh, I believe it was a wrist injury that he had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before that was, was quite a productive player. Um, so I think you're going to need to find some replacements at the bottom of your lineup, uh, you know, who know their role, but can also be effective and can be effective for the long term. Uh, you know, th- there's a lot of, turnover coming at that bottom of the roster i believe if you look down the list of ufas and even a couple rfas um so right now you know aside from aside from those guys i think you have a couple other guys currently slotted into roles who um you know may be a little bit more undefined in terms of their career and their specific role on the team and that's never really helpful for anybody when that's the case yeah like so talking about the fourth line do you think there are some guys from the marlies who who graduate or do you think they just need some more experience there guys who know that that's their position and they're not trying to claw up the lineup so i'm thinking about guys like uh abruzzese i'm thinking about (laughs) steves i'm thinking about maybe even joey anderson who just turned 24 it feels like he's been in the leaf system forever since that trade went for andreas johnson but there's a few guys there even in nick robertson like and i want to get into him later but like Mm -hmm. do you think there's a spot for some of those guys or do you think they just need a complete turnover I think I think ultimately you need both because all these teams that end up being successful, you have internal competition right now. You know, if you don't sign any free agents, if you don't bring anybody, any any guys in on PTOs, essentially what you have is three open spots on your fourth line for guys from the Marlies just to walk right into. And you're not even going to make them earn it. I think Mm -hmm. at least in my opinion, as somebody who has not seen a lot of the Marlies recently, but watched games when guys similar to who you've just named the abrazazes the nick robinson or robertson's um so on and so forth have come up and played they're not at the point where they should just be gifted roster spots uh those are guys who need to commit to a role who need to understand what they're being brought in to do which may not be the same as what they do at the ahl level or, or what they've previously done in junior or college um, and they need to battle. They need to, and they need to. If they do make that team, if they get there, they need to feel like they're one game away from being sent right back. That's that's what ultimately will bring out that uh, the the play and the compete that you need from those guys. And in my opinion, none of those guys, you know, while they are, I think, on track to be effective players, none of those guys are at the point of their careers where they should just be handed a position on an NHL team. Yeah, like I think about those guys like Aberzazi and Steves, for example. I think they can be effective fourth line players, similar to like what an Engval was a couple years ago for the Leafs when he came up. But mm-hmm. I don't think obviously they're difference makers and you need other guys on a fourth line like that. And then talking about Robertson, you know, I mm-hmm. might as well get into this question now I had about him. Like, do you think he's a full time Maple Leaf next year? And if so, does he strictly play in the top six? Because when I saw Robertson play last year, last season, and even the year before, like he was in in the playoffs and stuff, I watch him play. And if he plays on the third or fourth line, I think he's just completely invisible. If he plays, you know, nine minutes a night, even 12 minutes a night or something, I think 
that's a waste. Like, I think he needs to get a full-time opportunity in the top six, but I'm just not sure he's ready yet. So how do you feel on Robertson? Do you think he's close? Is he, is he there? I, I agree. I, I do think he's close, but ultimately close, you know, at this stage just kind of means you're a bit of a, I guess, for lack of a better term, a tweener, somebody who can go kind of go up and down, but you're not really, you know, defined in either. I, I think in terms of answering your question of whether he's a top six, well, you know, name the top six that's coming back next year. It's Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares, probably Kerfoot, unless you move him. But right now he's on contract. And, Bunting. and Michael Bunting. Is Nick Robertson better than any of those six? No, no he's not. Um, you know, so then you're talking about, okay, can he play on your third line or your fourth line? And the game now is is different and roster construction is different than it was 15 years ago, even 10 years ago. Like your your fourth line doesn't have to be these big bruisers, your cold nors, your, you know, the fourth line that we saw when the Leafs lost the Bruins in 2015. But you still, as, I, as I've kind of hammered down a few times now, you need to have a defined role. And you need to know what your job is when you do see the ice, especially if you're going to play fourth line and play, you know, seven, eight minutes a night. Those seven, eight minutes need to be effective. Nick Robertson, in my opinion, hasn't showed me that he's, you know, a a player who's going to play on your shutdown line or is going to kill penalties or is even going to provide some energy in the time that he's out there. I think he's, you know, he's shown um, potential as a skilled player, as a goal scorer. He's got a great release. He's a good skater. Uh, but I don't know if I see a position to, for him to thrive in the role that he might be, you know, more comfortable in right now on this team. So, you know, for, for me, I think I'll be looking in the preseason for whether he can adapt, whether he can change his game a little bit um, to fit a role that may be open for him. Um, you know, and if he can't, then that's a player with some potential that you may look at at moving in in a deal. Um, but you know, he's he's a, he's a he's a good prospect. Uh, he's been plagued by injuries the last couple seasons, which is unfortunate. But um, you know, if you're the Leafs, you can only hope that he's he's you know gonna be even seventy five percent of the player that his brother is down in Dallas. Oh. That'd be incredible, wouldn't it, if he was even remotely close to what Jason is? Um, So, so that's what I wanted to ask. Like, do you, if he doesn't crack the roster in a role where he's going to benefit out of camp, do you think it makes more sense for the Leafs to explore trade options then, when they're kind of admitting that you know he's not good enough to to play a top six role or do you think it makes more sense in the off season to explore trade options before you even have the opportunity to evaluate him with the lineup because the Leafs are obviously in their window like they have to win now like they essentially have another two years of of uh two of their core players under contract and then three years after that Tavares and um Marner come up so it's like the window is closing as as much as I hate to say it, and that's not saying it will definitively close. I think they find a way to get extensions done with those players. But my point is, would it make sense to explore trade options for Nick Robertson to bring in a player to play in the top six who will make an impact? Because we know the second line struggled with scoring last season. And that second line mostly composed of either 
Ilya Mikheyev and or Alex Kerfoot on the left mm. wing, and then Tavares and Nylander, which just hasn't worked, especially when you look at their five-on-five production numbers. I believe in their last two seasons, their five-on-five expected goals is is like a really high percentage. It's like nearing like 55, 56%, something like that. I'd have to look it up. But their actual goals, I believe they're getting outscored by a couple goals at five on five. So like for two of your core pieces to put them together in the second line, it's just not working. So I wonder if exploring trade options with with your key piece, like your your golden chip, and that's Nick Robertson. I wonder if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. And, and ultimately, you know, nothing's ever owed to anybody at the NHL level, you have to do what's best for your team. Um, but I think in, in this case, you know, you've you've put a lot of time and effort into developing this prospect. And, and yes, there's been some injuries, um, you know, and he's had a few opportunities to play at the level here and there. But I, I would still like to see what he can bring, you know, with a full summer of training here come into the off season and if you're Sheldon Keefe and Kyle Davis, then you want to, you know, give him as good of an opportunity as you possibly can as a player who you have high hopes for in your system. Um, you know, whether that's putting him on the third line and saying, Hey, figure it out. You're going to be playing some tough minutes here. Like you're on, you know, you're still going to have your chance to score 15, 20 goals, 25 goals on that line. But you know, you, you, you're going to also have to play some defensive zone minutes and maybe kill a penalty here and there, see what he's like there. And, you know, you also have the option, as you've just kind of said, like, you know, if, if something's not working in your top six and you want to, you know, retry the Nylander experiment where you move him in with uh, David Kampf and guys on that line, then that's a guy that's one of the first guys for Nick Robertson that is that you'd be looking to move up and put in that role. So I think you, if it was me, I wouldn't be shopping him this summer. You know, if you get a call and it's an offer that is difficult to turn down, then you do what you do. But I think you, I think you just let the summer play out with him. There's no rush. Um, You have time on your side, see what um, comes out of training camp. And, you know, if, if things don't work out there and, you know, he ends up getting sent back down to the Marlies, then, you know, my guess as, you know, somebody who's dealt with hockey players in the past is that it may not even be your decision as to whether you want to trade him or not. You may get a call from the agent. So, yeah. And, um, and yeah. see, like, I, first of all, I'm glad that you said, you know, it's probably prudent to hold on to him because I feel the same way. And I felt the same way about timothy Liljegren too over the years and we saw what kind of player he turned into this past season and i'm you know i'm happy that that we kind of wrote it out with this player and i feel like they should do the same with nick robertson but the reason i asked that question is because leafs media man like anywhere you look it's just like trade nick robertson for a goalie and like later in this episode we'll get into it i have a couple mock trades for for a goalie a couple in particular and because i'm i may be on that train uh but i don't think nick robertson i'll just say it interrupt sorry like and, and we'll we'll save the meat of the discussion for later but um you're you're not getting a number one goalie straight up for Nick Robertson. No, so. I I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it it seems like that's what everybody's saying. It's like 25th overall pick and Nick Robertson and something else, and then it's like, holy, what if Robertson turns into like you said, even 75 percent of of what his brother is, and then 
And then it's like a Mason Marchment situation, you know, and he excels somewhere else. Not that they could have known how good Marchment was going to be at yeah. the time, but. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess in that in that case, you know, you just hope for something similar that happened with Jack Campbell where, you, you know, you trade Trevor Moore um, along with a couple other pieces. And he's become a very effective player for the Kings. He was great in the first round against Edmonton, but you also got a number one goalie back or your number one goalie back um in that deal so yeah i mean if if that's the case then you know you wish all the best to the player hopefully develops into something and it's a good deal for both sides but yeah we'll uh we'll save that discussion for for a little bit here yeah uh okay so we're talking about you know filling out this roster around the core because they're gonna run it back clearly um, just looking on cap friendly, they have roughly $7.8 million in cap space uh, with 17 players under contract. So they have some work to do. There's some important uh, free agents, both UFA and RFA here. So I just wanted to go through uh, every free agent quickly on this mm-hmm. team. And I want you to tell me what you think the likelihood that they re-sign is out of 100%. Um, so we'll start with Engvall. Pierre Engvall is an RFA with arbitration rights. John, what do you think the likelihood is that he re-signs with Toronto? I'm going to go... Uh... I think I'm going to go 80%. Um, Pierre Engvall, to me, he's okay. I, I think you know, Chad, I'm not his biggest fan. He's, he's someone who I thought actually had a pretty decent season at the end of the day, but, you know, he's he's someone I don't feel like fits into really any role particularly well. I wish he used his size a little bit more. Um, you know, he's not a goal scorer. He's not a penalty killer. So what is he? But, you know, he, he can he can get you 15 goals. He takes up a roster spot, and he takes up a roster spot for particularly cheap. Um, you know, and I think he's not going to be somebody who's commanding a lot here. Um, and ultimately, you know, whether I think he's a super effective player or not, he's the type of player who you can kind of plug and play. Um, he's not going to necessarily hurt you, and he's, gonna, and he's not going to eat your cap. So... It's kind of a, a player that you almost need around the Leafs, in, in, in my opinion. Um, you know, of course, if it ends up in arbitration, then you're going to argue low and he'll argue high. And hopefully it falls more in your favor. Um, if, if you can get him, you know, south of 1.5, in my opinion, then I think you, uh, you probably do that. Yeah, I had Angval at 75%, so we're on the same page there. I think they bring him back for his versatility. I think he's better defensively than a lot of people give him credit for. Um, and, you know, he chipped in offensively a bit this year. It was sort of a breakout year for Angval. I mean, it was a career best in, in many ways. So I think they bring him back. I agree also. I think, you know, anywhere between 1.25, which is I think what he made last season, uh, between that and 1.5, I think would be, you know, it'd be a good deal for a couple years, I think would make sense. Yeah. Uh, Andre Kasha, again, another RFA with arbitration rights, made of glass, but when he's healthy, he was really effective for the Maple Leafs. So what do you, what do you think the odds are he comes back? Yeah, I think you summed it up perfectly there, Chad. And I'm going to say for those reasons that it's 50% for me, I could see it going either way. Um, yeah, I thought he was great when he played, but, you know, you, you can't rely on him to stay healthy, um, you know, and he's not somebody who's going to come at a, you know, he's not going to make a ton, but I don't think he's going to be on the cheap either. He might fall somewhere in the neighborhood of, 
you know, two and a half, three million dollars, maybe slightly more. Um, you know, so I think that's somebody where, uh, you know, especially if you're able to walk away from an arbitration ruling at the end of the day, depending on, of course, the specific rights he has and who elects arbitration. Um, you know, if you if you don't like that ruling and you're able to walk away from it, or even you know prior to that, if you're just you, you know want to explore your other options and take a look at what else is out there, I think you know even though he was effective when he played, he is replaceable. There's other guys in the league um, who are as good and bring similar elements to their game as as Andre Kasha, but uh, yeah, to me it, it really comes down to the fact that you're you know even if you sign him, you know you're going to get. 50 games out of them yeah and i think that's the tricky part i think and also when i look at the lineup too i just don't know where he fits and i guess it depends yeah. on other players too like we're gonna get to Ilya Mikheyev, whether mm-hmm. he resigns because i think you can only grab one of those two players and i think Mikheyev is is better and he's been healthier so i put kasha at 25 percent chance that he's back i just don't see where he fits like if he's gonna play the fourth line i don't think you can justify paying him paying him three million even though i agree he is pretty versatile and can play in the top six if you need him to jump up i just don't think he's an everyday uh you know middle six player on the maple leaves so 25 percent uh colin blackwell ufa uh, I've got him coming back at 0%. I, I don't think there's a chance they bring him back unless he is extremely cheap. I just don't think it makes sense for, for the Leafs. I think they explore other options and try to find a better identity for the fourth line like we talked about. What do you think about Blackwell? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. I'm going to leave the door open a little bit more than, than that. I was going to say 20%, like still very unlikely. But, you know, he's a guy who... You know, I think you can sign for pretty close to league minimum, in my opinion. Um, and if you can do that, then to me, there's no, you know, real negative to having him as a guy who's your 12th, 13th forward, probably your 13th forward. And yeah. you can come in and, you know, move up the lineup a little bit as you need him, do a little bit of spot duty. But yeah, when he was here, he didn't really make any sort of presence felt. Um, he didn't change the identity of the fourth line at all. Um, you know, again, not that you need mutants on your fourth line. You, you used yeah. to, but he's he's a smaller player as well. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm gonna go pretty unlikely for that as well. Um, you never know. Leave the door open a little bit for me, but I think yeah, you you need a little more identity on, especially in your bottom six. Yeah, like don't get me wrong, I liked Colin Blackwell. I thought you know in the playoffs he had some jump and he seemed to have a little bit of tenacity to his game, which I kind of liked, but. Yeah, I just don't know, again, where he fits. He's one of those guys where, you know, it seems like he has the skill and, and the, you know, the kind of grind mindset work ethic, but he's just not big enough to play an effective role, you know, on, on the fourth line. And again, not that, like you said, you need mutants. I just think the Leafs need to go a different direction on their fourth line. So it's yep. unlikely that he'll be back. Okay, mm-hmm. we'll do two easy ones. And then uh, we'll, we'll finish with three hard ones. And then we'll get on to some goalie talk after this. So uh, we'll group these two guys together. Lilligren and Sandine. Uh, they're both RFAs with no arbitration rights. I said for both 100% chance they come back. Yeah, yeah. I think it has to be 100%. These are two of your your better young players in your system. They don't. Yeah, there are a phase. You're going to be able to get them at a decent price, in my opinion. They're only getting better in, uh, as well. So 
um yeah 100 percent to both yeah do you have a uh an estimated cap hit or deal that you think you know either of them could sign i think for lilligren it makes sense to maybe give him uh you know 200k raise roughly like still keep him under a million bucks maybe for for two years or so just so he can establish himself more as a player i think sandim will get the most between the two of them i just genuinely don't know what he's gonna make do you have sort of an estimate for that yeah, my my guess would be for both of them, it probably starts with a one in terms of their cap hit. Um, you know, Lilligren may you may be able to dip a little bit under the the million dollar mark, but even if it's a million dollars, that's you know, yeah, chump change in the NHL now. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> it's what it is. Sandy and I think will, as you've said, will get a you know the higher of the two. Um, you know, he may push a little closer to two. Uh, but you know, there's still more to be seen from him. He didn't get into the playoffs, obviously no real fault of his own this year. He dealt with the injury and and never got back in. So before, you know, making a a more substantial commitment, which I do think he has the potential to get on his next contract, um, you know, you're going to want to see a little bit more, but yeah, both those players should be, uh, relatively easy contracts in in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, some money's got to come out like you're, you're, gonna probably move on from justin hall and you know maybe even a jake muzzin we can talk about that too if you'd like i don't know really where he fits in now if you want sandine playing top four minutes but uh yeah sandine i think maybe it looks like a travis dermott contract where i think he was 1.5 for two years i could see sandine going 175 for two years something around that range so yeah uh okay three tricky ones here we already mentioned this guy ufa Ilya mikhaev polarizing player i think for for a lot of leafs nation some guys absolutely love him some guys think he can't finish this year he put up you know some decent numbers and was healthy which was a plus so even though i think some people think he's priced his way out of toronto i still have the maple leafs re-signing him at 75 percent. what do you think i'm gonna i'm gonna disagree with you on that one i think i'm gonna go again never never say zero but i'm gonna go five percent i'm gonna really? go um, and I'm somebody who's very like in between on, on Mikheyev. Um, you know, I think this year, especially he was, he was effective in his role. He's, he's a fast skater. He can kill penalties. Um, you know, but ultimately I think on the other end of the spectrum, he's, he's a low hockey sense, low hockey IQ player, as I, I would describe him. Um, I would not be betting on him scoring more goals in any of his future seasons than he did this season. Um, you know, I think he's kind of reached his limit there. He's going to be somebody who I think is more tailored to a third line on a good team. Um, but I do think that the market for 20 goal scores is competitive out there. And I, I, I personally just see, you know, one of 31 other teams making an offer that, that, you know, far outdoes what the Leafs could possibly do. Um, and, you know, and, and good for him. If he's able to get that, then it's a no-brainer to take it. It's similar to what happened with Zach Hyman, where I think both sides look at it and say, yeah, like, we'd love to keep you, but you'd be crazy to turn down that offer and wish you well. And he goes on and, you know, Zach Hyman's had su- uh, success with, with the Oilers through one season. Could see something similar with McKay, but I, I, I don't see more of a ceiling than he already has. Um, I think he is what he is, but uh, yeah, I just, 
the craziness of free agency i i I'm just picturing somebody right now giving him a contract that starts with a four, and I, I wouldn't justify that if I'm the Leafs. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, what do you think a contract looks like if if he does get overpaid, like you're talking about? Because again, like that's the worry with Mikheyev. If you can bring him back for a reasonable number, uh, that makes sense. I think he's another player who's pretty versatile, extremely fast, kills penalties, uh, not too bad defensively on that third line with with David Kampf, and maybe it's Pierre Engvall as the other winger. But but no, I I hear you. Um, I think maybe there's somewhere in the middle that we can meet for likely likelihood that he comes back, but I hear you there. So, um, agree to disagree on that one. Yeah. Two, uh, more difficult players here. Ilya Labushkin. Let's start with him. I put Labushkin and, and also Jack Campbell. I guess we can do these together. I put them both at 50% because I have no idea if either of these players is coming back. I don't know exactly where Labushkin fits now that Mark Giordano has re-signed for two more years. Despite playing different sides, I think there's just a logjam on defense and someone has to go. Maybe it's Labushkin, but I mean, he was playing with Morgan Riley as well. So it seems like he can play up and down, you know, your top six uh, on the back end. So that's a player I really don't know if he comes back. And then obviously Jack Campbell. So what are your thoughts on those two players? Yeah, I'm interested to hear what your percentage would be on Labushkin. For me, I'm gonna put it at I'm gonna put it at six. Well, I guess you said fifty. Yeah, fifty. So yeah. disregard that last statement. For me, on <laughs> Labushkin, I'm, I'm gonna say I'm gonna go with sixty percent. I'm gonna go a little bit higher than you, just because I, I I think he was a really effective pickup for the team. I agree. Um, he was really steady. Uh, I think he surprised a lot of people, including myself. Um, you know, not a lot of people knew about what he brought before he got here. Um, and then, yeah, as you said, he was playing with Morgan Riley in some key times and I thought was was pretty effective at doing that. And then at the same time, you know, he's 28. Um, he's established. I don't think he's going to command a huge contract. Um, you know, he may be able to essentially step into to the Justin Hall money at around $2 million, maybe a little bit more, but I don't think I could see something with a three for him. Um, you know, so if that's the case for me, I think I, I think the logical answer would be to bring him back. Uh, you know, if you see there's a bit of a log jam and, and you think you want to have Lilligren and Sandine in your, your lineup every night or close to every night, then you know, that's a call for management to make. Maybe they walk the other way, but you know, there's not, there's not too many players on, on, um, the market right now who I think you can look to and say, yeah, he would be more effective. Um, you know, especially at the cost where you'd get him as Labushkin was. And, um, so I would do everything I can to try and make sure he's in, uh, in my lineup next year. So that's, that's Labushkin, Jack Campbell. I'm going to also, I'm going to agree with you there. 50%. Um, I really don't know what to think on him. I I don't know what to think either. I I think you've got to try everything in your power to bring back Jack Campbell. And and I know he ended up becoming a little bit polarizing in the second half of the season, obviously much, you know, different performance than it was in the first half. Uh, But he's your best goaltending option. In my opinion, the other options on the market are not, significantly better mark andre Fleury's what 38 39 now i don't think darcy kemper is a significant 
improvement in my opinion over Jack Campbell. I think I think he's better, but I don't think he's substantially better. Uh, um, Philly Huso, same thing. I don't think he's an improvement on on Jack Campbell. He he lost his uh, his job back to Bennington in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, you know, so for me, I think you know, obviously, it's going to come down to how much he's asking for. That's going to be number one. Um, but if it's something that the Leafs can work with, um, which my guess would be something maybe around the $4.5 million range, and you're able to get rid of the Peter Morassic contract, which may be easier said than done, mm-hmm. uh, then I think, I, you know, similar to what I said about Labushkin, you got to try everything you can to bring him back. Um, yeah, yeah, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. So I I agree with a lot of what you said about those two players. With Labushkin, you know, the reason I was 50-50 on him is because, like I kind of alluded to, I don't really know where he fits. So Mm -hmm. when I just look at the top six right now, you know, Riley Brody, you probably want playing together, right? You know, you've got Riley Brody, Sandine, Muzzin, and Giordano who all shoot left. And then you've got Labushkin and Lilligren who shoot right. I don't think there's any there's there's any world next season where Lilligren and Sandine are not in the lineup on a given night if they're healthy. I think you have to play those guys because I think they're your future, period. And they they proved it this year that they were both really good in limited playing time. So then that leaves me with either Labushkin or Muzzin playing you know on on the right side or whatever Giordano can play the right side if you want to do that because we know Muzzin doesn't like doing that so it just leaves me between those two players Labushkin and Muzzin I think you know they play effective roles and they kind of play a similar role in the sense that they they can be relied on defensively and on the penalty kill and and you know they can make a good first pass if you need it for the most part but I don't really see a world where both of those guys are back in the lineup on a nightly basis because I think you have to play Lilligren and Sandine. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna make some good podcasts here because <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna disagree with what you said. Okay, okay. Um, and I, I don't think you need Lilligren and Sandine in your lineup all the time. I think in an ideal world you would because that means your young, your young players are taking another step. But if you look at just what happened a month ago when the Leafs were playing Tampa. Sheldon Keefe took out Lilligren, you know, partway through that series because he didn't trust him. And he put Justin Hall back in the lineup. And I think all of us would agree that Justin Hall's probably played his way out of Toronto. Yeah. But if Sheldon Keefe was announcing to the world, like, hey, this guy who has drastically underperformed this season is someone I still trust more than this young player. To me, I, I, I can't sit here and guarantee that Tim, Timothy Lilligren plays every single game come October. I hope he does. And I hope the same with Sandine, you know, because he still, as I've said, has has stuff to prove. But I think, you know, for me, the more prudent play would be, you know, if, if we have one too many defensemen, they'll figure it out, um, you know, come preseason, come the first part of the season as to who's going to be in the lineup and who's not going to be. And if you think, you know, your, your younger guys and Labushkin and Muzzin, you know, they're all competing for for spots and they all deserve to be in the lineup, um, you know, every night, then you make a move at that time. But for me, I just don't think Sheldon Keefe and Kyle Dubas would be super comfortable coming in with a top six um, defensive group that features both Sandin and Lilligren based on what we just saw in the first round. 
Okay, and fair enough. You're right. Like, Keefe would not put Justin Hall in the lineup if he trusted Timothy Lilligren more than he trusted Justin Hall, which makes total sense. But my response to what you said is, you know, what happens if game one of next season, it's Sandine who's on the bench? Because like I said, there's a log jam on the left side. And I think that that benefits Lilligren more than it does Sandine. So, you know, if you've got Riley Brody, say Muzzin Labushkin or or Riley Labushkin, Muzzin Brody, uh, and then Giordano Lilligren, you know, and that leaves Sandine out. I don't know if that's good for the player. And if he's sitting game one, knowing how good he he is or or how good he thinks he can be in the future, wouldn't that disgruntle the player? Like, aren't you managing aren't you managing personalities here at this point when every player here on the back end can play? I I agree. It will disgruntle the player. But the NHL is not a development league. If if you're concerned that, you know, Rasmus Sandin uh, um, you know, isn't going to be living up to his potential because he's sitting in the press box, then, you know, that's that's not something that Sheldon Keefe needs to necessarily worry about. That's going to be for Kyle Dubas to figure out. So in, in my opinion, I think it, it kind of goes back to what I just said, where it's, you know, right now, when you're envisioning your roster, I don't think that the guys running the Leafs can can sit here and say we are comfortable with both of these two guys in our lineup, so much so that we're going to lose a player who we were very comfortable with in our lineup, you know, including a guy that that has played, you know, with our number one defenseman on our top pair. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in, yeah, if, if you come down to game one of the regular season and Sandin is scratched, but you don't think he should be because, you, you know, you've seen him take a huge step up through preseason and he's doing everything right in practice, then, you know, I think that's something that that probably gets sorted out over the first part of the season and, and ultimately ends up uh, resulting in in somebody getting moved, um, you know, come come the first part of the season. And that might not even be Labushkin. That could be Jake Muzzin. Yeah. Um, you know, if Labushkin is is outperforming him, um, you know, so I, I, my my preference in building a team is is depth. Bring as much depth in as you can. Let the pieces fall where they may, and then figure it out after. So I'd rather be in that position than, you know, starting game one with the six guys and Sheldon Keefe coming out or talking to Kyle Dubas after night one saying, hey, that guy right there, whoever it is, cost us three goals tonight. We got to go find a D. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point. Good teams are built through their depth. So it makes sense. You want to have guys who can fill in because, again, like there's going to be injuries, too. So you Mm -hmm. need to have guys who can play. But my biggest worry, and I know this is galaxy brain and we've been talking about this D this decor for a while and we can move on here soon. But I know this might be a bit of a galaxy brain, you know, Mm -hmm. conversation. But what happens if signing Ilya Labushkin, you know, a player who on a lot of teams is not on your top pair Mm -hmm. or on some teams, he's not even in your top four. What if signing that player ends up in Rasmus Sandin being traded. I I would hate to see what that trade-off looks like and I just like that that worries me. That worries me. Yeah, I mean as a fan I think that's worrying, but I I think if without trying to offend anybody, I I would say that if if you choose 28-year-old Ilya Labushkin over 22-year-old Rasmus Sandin, you know, next season so much so that you're trading the latter 
then that's just going to be poor player management, asset management. Um, you know, by no means am I suggesting that bringing back the one should result in the other leaving. I know. Um, you know, I think it's just a matter of whether those guys are ready to be in the lineup every night. If they are, great. If they're not, then, you know, whether it's Labushkin or somebody else, you know, Sandin's going to find himself in the in the press box watching, watching that guy some nights of the year. Um, but yeah, I, I would never, I would never suggest that uh, they should be looking at trading Sandy, and I think that would be crazy. He's one of your top young players coming in, and if if that happened, then fan base would probably ask some questions unless they got a huge return yeah well that's the thing too because what if you know and i mean again this is just like hypothetical galaxy brain but like what if they get a you know player to play in the top six you know who knows but yeah it's my my worry is that you disgruntle a player you know if you scratch them game one but anyways we've been we've been dragging this part (laughs) on let's 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 move on here and let's talk goalies and then we'll round it out um, with a couple trade, a mock trade here involving goalies. And then we'll talk about our ideal lineup and then we can wrap up. So we've gone a bit sure. long here. So sounds good. Um, okay. Trade targets in Nate. We said, we both said Jack Campbell's about 50, 50 to return to the Leafs. If he doesn't return to the Maple Leafs, you know, we talked about moving Peter Morazic's contract could be easier said than done. Maybe you've got to attach the uh, 2024 second round pick that you've got or something to uh, to move that out, which, you know, it's not ideal. But at the end of the day, it's magic beans and you need the cap space. So if they were to get a goalie who is not Jack Campbell, uh, who do you think they should target? You, you mentioned Vili Huso. You mentioned Darcy Kemper. A couple other guys I kind of pulled out of left field. They're not better than Jack Campbell, but they could maybe provide a good backup position. Um, and I don't really know what that looks like, but Scott Wedgwood and Anthony Stolares. So there's four guys. Who are you most intrigued about there? Or is there someone else that you're looking at uh, on the market? Yeah, I think in terms of UFAs, for me, like it would just be the guys you named. Kemper, Billy Huso. Two, you know, as we've already talked about, I don't think our improvements or substantial improvements on Jack Campbell. It's, those are more lateral lateral moves. Philly Huso, you know, that one's a little bit more risky than Kemper, in my opinion. Um, but but still, yeah, kind of kind of a lateral move comes down to as everything does it for agency time, how much they're commanding, what the market's like. There's, of course, other teams looking for goaltending who are going to be competing for those services as well, and you just have to hope you're not outbid for for any of those three, Jack Campbell included. Um, you know, so those were, would really be the only two I would consider from that class. You know, I've already said Flurry is just a little bit too old. Um, you know, I have just no looking interest down in him. Here. <laughs> yeah, looking down the list of some other guys like Thomas Grice, Georgiev, Martin Jones, Brayden Holtby, like none of those names should be intriguing if you're a Leafs fan. Um, you know, I, I think if you're going to go the trade route, then the one name that gets thrown around a lot in the media right now is, is John Gibson. I don't know if there's any truth to those rumors, um, whether he would actually be willing to uh, – to leave Anaheim, come to Toronto. He's making six point four million dollars a year as his cap hit for five more years. I think it is here. Yeah, yeah. five seasons. Um, so it's obviously a hefty price 
I don't know if you can make that work. He's, you know, he's 28 years old. He's, he's been, you know, pretty good throughout his career. The last three seasons, although he's been playing on a, on a, on a, you know, non-playoff team, his save percentage has been below league average, which is, you know, maybe slightly concerning, especially if you're going to be asked to give up a lot for him. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's, that's the one name in the trade market that comes to mind in terms of backups. Yeah, I think those are good names that you've mentioned. Wedgwood has been a fairly, you know, solid two, three guy for a couple a couple years now. Anthony Stellaris is a little bit more unproven in my opinion, but um, you know, sure could deserve an opportunity. Um, I think you know, no matter what you're looking for here in a backup, I think uh, you know Jack Campbell played 49 games. This past season, um, you know, so you're going to be looking at somebody who can fill the void of, of the other games. Uh, he's never, of course, surpassed 49 games. So you're looking at somebody who could, in an ideal world, maybe play up to 30. Um, you know, whether those two guys could remains to be seen. Um, but I certainly don't think it's anybody in the system that they have now um, who's the answer. I, I completely agree. I think... You know the hype about Joseph Wool has kind of died down recently, and and Eric Shelgren kind of came out of nowhere, and I don't think that he's capable of being a full time NHL backup next season. Uh, so I think the idea is to get someone to push Shelgren down to a three role, and yeah. then like Mrazek, if he returns, I think fans will go nuts. Like you have to do something to move his contract even though at the start of the year like I was a big Peter Morazic fan and I was just waiting for him to turn things around but it just never happened it never you know came to fruition and maybe it's just circumstance or injury or the system that the Leafs play there's something going on there and you know who knows what it is but I think if he returns that would just be like you know Leafs fans would go nuts um so I'm I'm glad you brought up John Gibson's name because that was the mock trade that I have prepared here. But before I read it to you, I wanted to ask you who you think the most valuable trade pieces are for the Leafs this offseason to go and get a goalie with. If that's the route they choose, if they can't re-sign Jack Campbell, or even if they do and they want to get another guy to to work into a tandem with. Um or if or if they just you know need to get a backup or whatever so what do you think the most uh important or the most valuable trade pieces are on the maple leafs right now and and would actually be likely to be involved in a trade for a goalie yeah it's good that you put likely in there yeah 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 you know say probably nylander at his contract and somebody who's you know not named matthews or marner so yeah um, but I, I don't see the Leafs moving him for, for a goalie, um, in my opinion. So, yeah, you're kind of looking at more depth guys, uh, which is, you know, always tricky. Is you, you know, you're kind of playing yourself back into, um, you know, making a trade for a guy who's a little bit more unproven or, or maybe a number two at the moment, kind of like when you traded for, for Jack Campbell and you're giving up guys like Trevor Moore. Um you know, to get him, who's who's clearly somebody who was further down your your depth chart at the time. Um, you know, so for me, I think it would be be some of the prospects that we spoke about earlier. Nick Robertson being one. You know, he's a, he's a guy who hasn't found his footing yet, still has some value. Um, you know, and is somebody who I think you know certain certain teams, especially teams who may be a little bit more thin in their forward group, would would 
place some value on. Um, you know, who knows, for instance, the team that comes to mind, uh, like Columbus. Columbus is, is a little thinner um, in terms of their high-end talent in their top six. Who knows what's going on with, with their goaltending tandem they have there, but we've heard about Jonas Corpusalo rumors for what feels like a couple seasons now. Does that interest uh, you, Corpusalo? Uh, not substantially, but that's that's the type of goalie I think you're looking at trading for if you're going to give up. Like Nick Robertson is is not an A prospect. He's yeah. he's probably a B B plus prospect. I'll give him B plus, but you know, I would time agree. time's running out. So you're not you're not getting you know like Elvis Merzlikens is clearly the number one in Columbus. You're not you're not picking up him for for Nick Robertson and I'm just throwing out it as an example. I don't even know if Columbus wants to move Corpusalo anymore, but in my opinion that's that's the kind of guy you're getting back in a um in a trade involving those types of pieces. Um you know, so so somebody like that, uh you know, other guys with the Marlies, I I don't know. Like Abruzzese in my opinion probably has less value than Nick Robertson, so I, I don't know yeah. if you're moving him um you know i i wouldn't want to do this because i i think he's a good defensive prospect but Topi niemela um is somebody who may have some value as well but the what i'm trying to say essentially is is you know you you're not going to be moving one of your core pieces your depth pieces probably don't have a ton of value Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you're kind of looking at trading prospects and picks if you're going to pick up a goalie, in my opinion. Yeah. What, what do you think about a guy like Alex Kerfoot? What kind of value do you think he has around the league? I think he's got some value. Like that's, that's another guy, I guess you could probably throw in as, as a, as a guy you can move for a goalie. Um, trying to think of a, what I would value Matt, but you know, he's a, he's a second or third line player on an okay contract yeah uh he's got what has he got here he's got one season remaining at three and a half 27 years old um you know so I, yeah you can move him but I, I think my point would stand like I, I don't think alex kerfoot on his own is is attracting a a number one goalie in return like yeah maybe you get slightly more than you would get if you're if you're moving nick robertson on his own for a goalie or yeah. Nick Robertson in a pick, let's just say, but as the main kind of player asset in that deal. Um, but I, you, you know, you're it, it would be Alex Kerfoot plus something plus something if you're looking at getting a John Gibson type out of Anaheim. Yeah, and then you're wondering, are you even better losing your depth? You know, to get a goalie yeah. like Gibson who hasn't been good for the last you know three years or so. But okay, I'm glad we're on Gibson and we're getting close to wrapping up here because I have a mock trade and it's not fully finished. But I kind of just wanted to see what you thought of this value here for John Gibson. So the Leafs receive Gibson because I think, you know, we've seen this playoffs and last actually that you're really only as good as your starting goalie for the most part. You know, Andre Vasilevsky in games that he's faltered, uh, you know, Tampa got blown out, <laughs> you know, seven, nothing last game. Uh, Igor Shesterkin games where he didn't play well. It didn't go well for the team. Um, Vili Husso struggling for uh, the Blues and then Jordan Bennington coming back in, you know, going back to last season, Carey Price 
was basically the only reason Montreal got to the final. So you just see this time and time again where a goalie gets hot in the playoffs and, you know, the whole theory of a tandem working throughout the regular season kind of goes by the wayside when it comes to playoff time because you're just playing one guy and you're only as good as that guy. So that's my theory. I feel like I've kind of um, moved in that direction after these last couple years. I was a big believer in the tandem, but now I just don't know. So John Gibson to me has been an attractive option because I think he's better than his number should suggest uh, mm-hmm. over the last couple years. So Leafs receive John Gibson make 6.4 for another five years. Like you mentioned, that contract is kind of scary in my opinion, but like I said, I think he's better than his recent numbers suggest. And in return, the Leafs send their 25th overall pick for this year. They send their 2024 second round pick because that's the only second round pick they have for the next uh, few drafts. Then I think it has to be two of your medium, say, B-tier prospects. So I don't know if you have this guy in a B-tier, but I look at a guy like Ronnie Hirvonen. Second round pick in 2019, I think he fits the bill. And then someone else, whether it's uh, Mikhail Abramov, I think he might be a B-minus or a C-plus prospect. Yeah, or or someone like that. I think there needs to be a bit more value added, but that's, that's the deal for me. What do you think Anaheim says to that? Yeah, I don't think that's I don't think that's a, a terrible suggestion by by any means. Like, you know, those are even though it's a late first round pick, it's it's still got some value to it. Second round picks are always valuable as well. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think that's a terrible suggestion in my opinion. And it, you know, I think the you know, if you're the Leafs, the thing you're looking at is is the contract, of course, it being five years at six point four. Last three seasons, you know, as I, I agree with you in saying that I think Gibson is better than his numbers, but notwithstanding that, his last three seasons have been nine oh three, nine oh four, nine oh three save percentage. Yeah. Which and, is and the advanced numbers have been bad too. <laughs> yeah. And, and and so that's you know, would would scare me a little bit. But I do think you know, if I were to guess, that that is a realistic ask from uh, from Anaheim, a first, a second round pick, and two B prospects. So, um, it's scary. It's scary, but I, I I do think there's some some realism to that suggestion. Yeah, it is. The contract's a bit scary, but yeah. um, okay. Here's another guy. This was rumored a couple uh, days ago. Sergey Bobrovsky. <laughs> reportedly florida is willing to retain 50 percent just to clear cap space uh he has f- four more years left on his deal and obviously they have spencer knight coming up so they're you know this is like the time for them to move bobrovsky they have some key free agents to sign this offseason as well so are you interested at all in sergey bobrovsky at five million yeah five million bucks per year because he makes 10 right now so 50% retained for another four years. And what do you think that would cost? Because I think it would be um, less than, maybe even significantly less than a John Gibson trade. Yeah, I, I think I think at 50% retained, you'd have to at least think about it. Um, you know, Sergey Bobrovsky has not been fantastic for Florida. He was okay this year. His save percentage was around league average at 913. Yep. Um, you know, he played 54 games, so he was the starter there. His track record speaks for itself in the past. Yep, two-time Vesna uh, winner. 
two-time Vesna winner. Now he is 33 years old and and probably past his prime. Uh, I think that's fair fair to suggest. But yeah, five million dollars. I think that's that's something you have to look at. Um, you know, especially if you're you're weighing your options at, at five million dollars, Sergey Bobrovsky versus a you know four point seven five million dollar Jack Campbell. Let's just say uh, that's you know something you, you gotta you gotta look at in terms of in terms of the value. Um, it's always very tricky, in my opinion, when when you're talking about retaining salaries, it throws off the 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 trade value so much, um, especially if you're talking about retaining. That million bucks, five million dollars, <laughs> half of his contract. That's a big ask from Florida. So, in my opinion, I, I think with that considered, um, you, you're probably looking at, if you're the Panthers, you're looking at getting a pretty decent sized return. Um, you know, I don't know if it's as big as the one you just suggested for John Gibson, um, but I don't think it's. It would necessarily be far off. Maybe it's a a first and you know a b prospect or a first and two b prospects who who knows um but yeah when when you're asking a team to retain that much in salary they're they're not just going to hand them over yeah i i think that's reasonable um mm-hmm. I, I think the only the only reason why i kind of suggested that it would be significantly less value to you know acquire bobrovsky than it would gibson is just because i don't think florida has any leverage i think teams know that you know they need to move on from his money if they're gonna re-sign some key players like a, a guy like mason marchman like we mentioned him earlier but you know, what is he going to sign for this year? And, you know, they've got a few other key guys as well. So I don't know. I, I don't feel like they have much leverage, but I, I'm just curious to see if, if they do move him, if they are able to retain 50%. No, you're, you're definitely right. Like they, they aren't dealing from a position of power if they're desperate to get out of that contract. Like, you know, even though you're asking a lot for them to retain it, 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 it is reasonable to suggest that, you know, they don't get full value even at five million dollars, um, you know, because they're so desperate to move on from them. But, you know, if you're dealing with a team, if Florida's dealing with a team that, you know, also has some desperation on their side, like if the Leaf Center August 1st and they're looking at Peter Morazic and Eric Schalgren as their two goalies, then that's that's a little de- desperation in my mind. Edmonton Oilers, if you're at August 1st and all you've got in front of you right now is is uh mike smith and Stuart skinner yeah potentially the same thing um you know so i think i think florida uh you know as you suggest yeah on its face not dealing from a position of leverage but if you find a desperate partner like that it all may even out in the wash yeah okay and last thing i want to go over here um ideal lineup for game one i know we're just kind of you know throwing darts at this point and, and seeing what we hit but uh what does your ideal lineup look like for the maple leaves on game one uh in october yeah i'll, I'll, I'll say ideal and somewhat realistic yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know so i i don't think based on we just talked about Ilya Labushkin for 15 minutes. <laughs> um, I can kind of tell you where maybe I'm standing with with their D. I don't think there's going to be any substantial changes on on defense right now. I think the only real change that you you see, in my opinion, is Justin Hall doesn't come back. Yeah, but I think the other seven 
um, that are listed on cap friendly right now, that being Riley, Muzzin, Brody, Giordano, Lilligren, Sandy, and Labushkin. Is that seven? Yeah, yep. that's seven. I think those are your those are your D come come night one. Um, goalies, <sighs> scary, very <laughs> scary. I think in a in a I think in an ideal world for me, um, notwithstanding the second half of his season, I think Jack Campbell's in the night in the net night one. Number two goalie could be like I, I think it's got to be somebody completely different. I don't know exactly who that is. Maybe it's you know. For your sake, we'll throw in Scott Wedgwood. Sure, uh, who's I like Stellaire's better. But yeah, yeah, or Stellaire's yeah, something like the, that. I don't think that really that's not going to make or break your season, in my opinion. So, so one of those two, but um, the other two guys, Morazic and Shalgren, aren't on on the roster for me. Uh, forwards are trickier. Maybe yeah. you can help out a little bit here, but you know we we've named the the six. Well, yeah. I think. I think it's fair to assume Kerfoot's probably there, you know, unless there's a trade. Um, I think in an ideal world for me, like the other guys under contract currently are, are Simmons, Abruzzese and Clifford. To me, Clifford and Simmons are not guys I want in the lineup every night. Same. I don't even know if I, if I want Simmons to come back at all. Like I know he's good for the locker room. I just don't think he's very effective anymore. No, I, I don't disagree, but I think if he's back, he's got one more year, yeah. 13 forward, play 30 games this season, and then don't see him in the playoffs. I, yeah, I don't think he's hurting anybody, and the guys like him, and he can come in. and Yeah, he's not super effective, but he's, he's going to take up a spot, so I think I think you see him on the roster. Yeah. But there's a lot of open spots, so I, 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 I mean – I guess Pierre Engvall is probably back, as as we discussed. Yeah. Um, a guy with a spot is David Camp on that third line. Yes. Be there. Yeah. David Camp. Forgot about David Camp for a second. He was he was effective. Um, I'm trying to think of some free agents here that may be worth. Yeah, and I mean, and I mean, John, we don't even have to get into the weeds here. I was more so just expecting, like, you know, what you think the group coming back is going to be, and then it's okay to say, you know, we've got some holes, and that's kind of what I think the Leafs have is a fourth line with three spots open, and then maybe a spot on the third line. Yeah, and and then on the back end, like it's those seven guys if they if they bring back Labushkin. And yep. uh, in net, yeah, like you said it, you know, Jack Campbell, if he can come back, that would be ideal. And then someone else has a backup to kind of to kind of change things around there because Shelgren, I think, needs to be pushed down and Mrazek cannot return. So that's essentially what I've got. The only difference is uh, I've got John Gibson starting between the pipes <laughs> <laughs> just because, you know, for fun. But, but did you uh, take uh, did you take Kerfoot out of the out of the lineup then, or was it a prospect going the other way? No, it, it was uh, it was the deal I proposed. Just need to think of a second guy. I yeah. mentioned Hirvonen. You know, you could throw Niemela in there as well because I think yeah. he's he's also in that class. But I like Niemela, so I I don't know. Maybe it's a tie yeah. void, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I I mean I agree with everything you said. You got a whole fourth line there that. I think is one big hole. 
probably a third line winger as well. Yeah. But I mean, even just looking up and down the UFA list that's available on cat friendly first page, there's 50 guys listed. I don't know if I see any of these guys in the leash lineup come opening night, not even because I don't like them just because a lot of them, I think will get more money than they have to, uh, to offer. So they're going to have some maneuvering to do. Um, hopefully, Hopefully you have some guys who, who can prove me wrong and are willing to take a step up from the Marlies because they're cheap and, and show some good development. But, yeah, um, yeah I, I think, you know, kind of going back to what we said at the start, in an ideal world, you have some competition come training camp. Got, make guys compete, compete for spots and figure out your depth a little bit right now because there's, there's not enough up front as it currently stands. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Is there anything uh, you want to add before we wrap up here about the Leafs? No, no. I mean, this is the year. This is it. They're going to get past the first round, right? <laughs> this is it. We just have to keep saying it. Yeah. We just have to keep saying it. Uh, okay, final final thing I'm going to ask you, who wins the cup and in how many games? Oh, man. I mean, I was. I, I, I will admit I was hoping for a three-peat. Um, Two nothing being down two nothing to Colorado in my opinion is a lot different than being two down two nothing to New York. Yeah. So I think I'm gonna have to take Colorado, but I think I'm gonna say six. Tampa's not gonna they're not gonna go easy. Yeah. All right. I'm sticking with Tampa and seven just because my bank account needs that. My bet three six five bank account. So uh okay. Well that that's it for our ideal off season for the Maple Leafs uh this year. Uh, thank you so much for listening to episode 129 of the podcast. Thank you, John, for coming out and doing this. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to go to www.boysintheboot.com and get some merch. Uh, we'll be selling all summer long. Thanks again for listening. Cheers. This has been another episode of Boys in the Booth with Harper Cody, Chad Melbourne, and Casey Abrams. New episodes every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Connect with the Boys in the Booth on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Boys in the Booth. Visit boysinthebooth.com for show details. And don't forget, you can become a patron of the podcast for just $1 a month at www.patron.com slash boysinthebooth.